all right? Uh, but we're going to climb a, a, a big mountain. We're going to be in, in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be going through this book. And um, this is a, there's a lot to this book. And, uh, you know, this is one of the epistles that uh, Paul wrote, and he is the author of this. And uh, he wrote this to Corinth, the, the church in Corinth or the church at Corinth. And uh, matter of fact, if churches were graded, come on, if churches were graded, uh, the church in Corinth would be given a D, a D. Wow, that's not a, that's a tough grade, Pastor. Why? Because, number one, they were divided. Everyone say divided. They were defiled. Everyone say defiled. And they were defamed. Everyone say defamed. But this letter that Paul writes to them, 1 Corinthians, is it, if it was a paper, it would be an A+. Plus, all right? It's a beautiful paper uh, uh, book that's written to them. So Paul spent about a year and a half ministering there in Corinth, and he started this church um, in first, uh, first Corinthians before he got there. For, he was there for a year and a half, and he, here he's been gone about three, two to five years, and, um, and he is writing them a letter to help them correct some issues. How many know sometimes we get off track? Every once in a while. And so uh, that is what Paul did. He went in, started churches, went and started other churches. And in the process of starting other churches, he sent letters to other churches that needed to be corrected. And so he, his mission was to do that. So this was written about 53 to 54 A.D. to the church in Corinth. And that would be in present day Greece. And uh, what, is, what is Corinth known for? In, uh, it is known, it was a, a rich and a wealthy town. How many like rich and wealthy towns? No? All right. How many like poor? Nobody eating? How many are awake tonight? But it, it, was, a, it was a rich and it was a wealthy town. They specialized in leather. They uh, specialized in pottery and metals and clothing. And they were uh, uh, best known for this, for this thing right here. They liked to party. Now, that raised some eyebrows. And matter of fact, you could liken this town to Las Vegas. In modern terms, this would be, be Las Vegas. Matter of fact, if you were a party animal in Paul's day, they referred to you as a Corinthian. Can you believe that? And so if you were a party animal, so next time you see somebody, be like, you, you Corinthian, you crazy Corinthian or whatever. Um, but, but another thing about this town was this. There was a, a temple there that overlooked the city that was built and dedicated to Aphrodite, and, and what, what is that? It's the goddess of sensuality and sexuality or lust. So you got this temple that is built there in Corinth to uh, Aphrodite, and, and this is a terrible thing. What's crazy about this temple is this. It had a 1,000 priests. That's a lot of priests, right, and, and priestesses, and these priestesses every night would come down, and they would go into town, and, and we call them priestesses here, but really what they were were prostitutes. And they would raise funds They would through prostitution uh, for the temple, and they would engage people into worship the false god, the little g, uh, Aphrodite. And because of that access, uh, there, uh, there was rampantness of sexual, uh, sexual immorality, and the whole city was given to gross immorality, right? So, um, and, and the reason I tell you all this is to give you a little context of why this church in Corinth was dealing with such issues. Sometimes we want to beat them up, but, you know, it's kind of like having a church in Las Vegas is a different church than Bedford, Indiana. Come on, somebody, right? 
you're dealing with different people. A church in Los Angeles is different than a church in Bedford, Indiana. And so you kind of got to understand culturally they're dealing with some uh, a little bit different things and not, not completely different than what we're dealing with today, but a little bit more prevalent things. So chapters 1 through 6, I got a little bit of an introduction here. Chapters 1 through 6 in, in 1 Corinthians deal with the issues uh, that the church was dealing with. And then chapters 7 through 16 deal with solutions to the issues. How many are glad that there are solutions when you have problems? Amen. And so Paul just doesn't come in and say, you guys are terrible, blah, 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 and just walk out. No, he says, this is how you fix this. This is how you fix this. This is how you fix this. And how many know every once in a while we just got to be a little fine-tuned. We got to be uh, fixed, right? We got we to gotta get ourselves back in the right order. So he, had, he instructed the, the uh, Corinthian church and every subsequent, subsequent church about f- effective ministry. So you can write these down. He, he talks about being effective in ministry. He talks about true unity, not just unity in mind, but unity of heart, true unity, Christian charity or love. How many know the Bible says that we should love one another? Amen. Spiritual maturity. Oh, some of you didn't like that. You got to grow up. If you've been in church for a while, you, you should have already started to grow up. Some of you are still uh, drinking milk when you should be eating solid foods. Come on, right? All right. Come on, Pastor. All right. I'll, I'll get going here in a minute. And, um, and then he talked about the meaning of liberty. And he instructs them regarding church conduct, the way that they should act in church. He talks about spiritual gifts in this book. And he talks about the resurrection of the dead. And he, he wrote all these things concerning the problem of, of division. And then in the process of understanding these things are dividing them and causing them to go in different direction, he gives them the definition of love, which is I think is a beautiful thing. So, And honestly, this church, if we were to talk about this church in Corinth, it was a charismatic church. It was a Pentecostal church. Come on, somebody, right? Uh, they like to praise the Lord, and they were doing good things, and they were growing, but they were getting disorderly, right, And uh, in this process. And so, um, and this is a mountain of correction and, and, and doctrine, so I need you to do something. I need you to buckle up, get ready, because we may have a little bit of turbulence. Maybe not so much today, but we will have some turbulence, and I believe that there's a lot that we can learn from these, this book. We're going to be chapter 1, verse 1. Um, and Paul always starts with the greeting, uh, with most of the books that we know that he has written. Um, and it says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So um, the words to be, does anybody have a, a uh, King James Version in here? Does it say, it says to be, and, and if, it, it, if maybe in your Bible, I don't know, some modern Bibles do, but the word to be is in italics. And if you see italics in your Bible, that means that, uh, those words were not originally in, in the Greek Greek words, but sometimes translators take that and they add it to help us to understand. Sometimes they don't have words. Uh, Greek words don't always translate over into English words, and English words don't always translate over into this. So, and so that word to be is not always there, but if you were to read that without it, it should read, Paul called by the will of God an apostle of Christ Jesus. And so um, apostleship, what is that? Uh, was not an office that Paul was trying to achieve, but rather a definition of who he was. And he was sent by Christ. That's what apostle is, somebody who is sent, all right? And so when Paul opens a letter like this, anytime Paul opens a letter, an epistle in the New Testament, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, you better buckle up because he's, it's going to get turbulent. He's laying some foundation. He's just telling you, hey, 
uh, we're going to be dealing with some things. I, in Philippians, he says, uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. You know, he's not really mad at them. Uh, uh, you know, he's just loving on them. He doesn't say that. In Thessalonians, he says something very similar to what he says in Philippians. But in, in, in most of these books, he's trying to correct something. And, and does he have to throw his, his weight around? He's just saying, hey, I, I'm coming in. God has given me the authority here. Hey, sometimes you've got to be able to take correction, right? Come on, right? Nobody wants to admit that. Sometimes you gotta you gotta take correction, and so it, this is interesting. So he comes in, he's he's going to correct them. He says this. So Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brothers, uh, Sothenes. And Sothenes is an interesting guy. Most of you, anybody ever heard of him before? Anybody know his story? All right, cool. Um, yeah, he is a testament of God's grace. How many are a testament of God's grace? Sothenes is a testament of God's grace. In Acts chapter 18, I'll give you a little backstory here. This is good, good stuff. Uh, there was a leader uh, at the Jewish synagogue there in Corinth, and and next to where Paul is preaching. So you got the Jewish synagogue. Paul's pretty smart. He comes right next to the Jewish synagogue. Not only is he going to reach the Greeks, but he's also going to kind of let the Jews overhear what he's preaching. And he begins to preach there. And there was this uh, man. His name was Crispus. Everyone say Crispus. He was crispy. No, I don't know if that he was or wasn't. But Crispus was the uh, he was the main guy there at the synagogue. And when Paul taught many. Uh, uh, throughout there, many Jews, including Crispus, guess what? They turned their heart to the Lord. Amen. I love that. That's beautiful. That's what they should have been doing. And you know what the Jews begin to do? They got furious. They got upset. Man, this is not right. And so Sothenes, who who took Crispus' place, he went to the magistrates of the city or the governors, and he began to plead his case against Paul. And the governor there, uh, he said this to them. He, he, I mean, just kind of sum it up a little bit. He said, you Jews worry about too many things. And you guys fight over things that are not important. And, and so he sends them along his way. And Sothenes, his, uh, the Jews, what happened is the people, when he got back to the synagogue, they were upset with the way that he handled it because they didn't think that he was effective in what he was doing. And they began to beat on him. How many know that, that that's, that's harsh? So Sothenes, here he is, he's getting, he's getting beat, he's being provoked by these people, and he is, uh, he's upset. And, and I don't know about you, but if the people that I'm supposed to be leading start beating me up, it's going to make me think, why am I doing this? So he does something, he starts to listen, he starts to hear Paul, and God begins to woo him, God begins to talk to him, and he comes to know Christ Jesus. So, so that's Paul 2, 2 and 0 right there, right, taking leaders from the, from the synagogue. And, 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 and I, I tell you what's great about this. How many of you know that hard times make us look inward and upward? When we're going through tough times, uh, uh, Sothenes, he's going through a tough time. Everyone's turned against him. You know what he starts doing? Well, maybe, maybe these people that I thought loved me, maybe they don't really love me. Maybe, maybe it's just that. So he began to look inward and upward. And how many know that in the time of trouble, God will hear you. And God, God, if you look to him, he will help you. Amen. And this is a great reminder that those who are provoked by the gospel, come on, are ripe for the picking. You know what happens when we tell someone about Jesus? You ever tell someone about Jesus and they just get mad at you? Right? Have you ever just like, they just tell you to just shut up or whatever. And you're just kind of like, wow, that was, that was great. You know, those people that are provoked by the gospel are often the closest to conversion, really. They may not seem like it, 
But they're actually probably the closest to conversion because something inside of them is making them upset, and that's called the Holy Spirit wooing them and calling them. And so, hey, if you're telling someone about Jesus and they're getting upset, you ought to be like, whoo, got my hands. Here we go. Let's go. Someone's going to come to know Jesus, right? But uh, so uh, Sothenes and, and the Jewish leaders are now converted to Christ, and here is Paul writing this letter, and he's telling the church in Corinth, hey, I got Sothenes right here beside me. Woo! He's in Rome. He's doing this. How many know but God? Amen. But, but, but God. Look at this, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth. So notice Paul calls it the church of God that is in Corinth. And we are, listen, I'm not talking denomination here. Listen to me. You need to hear me out. We are the church of God in Judah. We are the church of Jesus Christ in Judah. Amen. Amen. Uh, there was uh, uh, not a church in Corinth, but it's God's church in Corinth. This is, this is God's church in Judah. Amen. All right. I, I like the way that Paul says that. He says this, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified means this, set apart. Everyone say set apart. Set apart from what? Sin. So you know how crazy Corinth is. You know what's going on in the background. And, and Paul's telling them, hey, to the believers who are set apart, you're living in Vegas, but guess what? You aren't participating in Vegas. Come on, somebody, right? Your lifestyle is different than that of the Corinthians. So Paul is calling them, uh, uh, you know, he begins to, uh, he's basically telling them, hey, you're starting to blend in with the culture a little bit. You need to set yourself apart. How many know that's still relevant for us today? Amen? And so the ideal here is to, to, to be set apart. Uh, 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 and the word is, you know, if you wanted to kind of set that up, is, you know, to be set apart for marriage. When you're engaged to somebody, guess what? You're saying, hey, we are exclusively getting ready, come on, to get married. We are set apart for each other. There are no others. Come on, right? So it says this, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So uh, these truths are not just for the people of Corinth, but guess what? These are, these are for all of us who call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? The Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved, right? I, I, I love that. We need to be reminded that. You're, you're in a time of trouble, call upon the name of the Lord. A lot of us like to pray our little prayers in our mind. But what we should do is, hey, don't be embarrassed about it. God, I need your help. God, I'm struggling in my mind. God, I'm struggling in my heart. God, I'm struggling in this situation. Help me. Amen. You know, think about this. When Peter called out to Jesus, when he sunk in the water, uh, you know, he cried out to Jesus, right? Lord, help me. He didn't think it. He said, help me, Lord, right? And so I think that's a good thing for us to know. And, and sometimes we, things get lost between here and here sometimes, right? We think it. We pray it in here. Don't want no one to know we're praying it. But sometimes verbalizing that, God, I need your help. Come on. Sometimes we need to hear that. Come on. When you've got two ears and one mouth, so you're hearing exactly what you're saying. Sometimes you need to hear that. Hey, Lord, I do need you. Lord, I'm, I'm saying this. I do need you. So verse 3 says this. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So. Grace or charis in the Greek was a typical uh, Greek greeting. It's kind of like uh, the Jews, they say shalom, right? That means peace. Uh, and so they, what the Hebrews would say, but the Greeks, they would say charis or charis. And so, and that was just grace. 
That's kind of a neat, neat way to, to greet people. Next time you go up to someone at church, say that to them, and they'll just look at you and blink and go, what are you talking about? Uh, but here again, like the other epistles he wrote, he marries these two words together. I love this. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Paul is the champion of this. Uh, grace and peace, but he always puts grace first. And I say this every time that, that this is mentioned in Scripture because it's just too good not to always say because a person cannot truly have lasting peace until he understands God's matchless grace first. Grace comes, and then you'll understand peace, and then you'll get peace. The grace of God comes, and then you'll understand peace. All right? All right. So, and then Paul, uh, this next section, he begins to just kind of thank God give thanksgiving, kind of gives them kind of an attaboy as best as he can here. Uh, how many know that sometimes when you go in, the boss is like, hey, I want to talk to you, and they're about to whew, lay it down on you. They tell you something, hey, we appreciate what you have done, but, you know, you're fired, or whatever the case. You know how this, so Paul's kind of buttering them up a little bit, right, to, to soften the blow, but verse 4 says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So Paul couldn't say this. He couldn't say, I thank God for the church of Corinth's righteousness. He didn't say that, right? Because they weren't very righteous. He didn't say, hey, I thank God for the church of Corinth uh, for their faith. No, he didn't say that because they, there was times where they lacked faith, okay? And, and then, but, but Paul could say, however, he could say, I thank God for the grace that God has given you. He could say that 100%. How many are glad that God has given you grace? You need grace. You may not think you need grace, and if you think you don't need grace, you are a prime candidate for grace. <laughs> uh, uh, we all need grace, and I can only imagine Paul smiling as he's thinking about this. Ah, God's grace. Because you got to think where Paul came from. Paul was killing Christians and in the process of doing terrible things, and God saved him. God turned him around, and it was by God's grace that he was able to do what he So he's looking at that saying, man, God, you are so gracious to us, even when we're scoundrels and, and mess up. So look at this, verse 5. That in every way you are enriched in him in all speech, and all knowledge. So the King James Version says, calls it utterance and knowledge. Um, the, and this is a reference to uh, the word charisma, uh, and that is the gifts of the Spirit. That word utterance is, is, is in reference to that. So we'll get into that, I promise. Verse 6 says this, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So the grace of God was shown to the church in Corinth, and, and, and even though they lacked spiritual gifts, okay, at times. So that, how many know that God's grace is good, amen? I've said it a hundred times. Come on, you gotta, might as well just get it in your heart. Hey, grace is good. Grace is good. God's grace is good. So this tells me something very important. When a gift of prophecy or a gift of healing or any other spiritual gift, uh, uh, rather individually or congregationally, uh, are, are given, it's, it's not an indication of being more spiritual. So if someone, hey, has the gift of healing, it doesn't mean that they're more spiritual than you. It just means that God's grace has been extended to them. Right? Okay. Uh, let me say that again. So if somebody, you may think, oh, man, somebody gave a prophetic word. They're, they're more spiritually sound than me. Not, not necessarily. That just means that the grace of God has been extended to them. So when someone flows in a gift, we often think, hey, they're more spiritual or they're more in tune with God. 
But these gifts are not based on certain levels of spirituality, okay? Uh, it, it, it's not a karate. You don't get a black belt. You don't get a yellow belt. You don't get, you, don't, you know, it, that's not the case. This means that ministry and special gifts are not based on, on how we're doing at all, but solely upon if God wants to give them to us or not. You know what that's called? Grace. That's it. That's called grace. That's a beautiful thing. So look at this, verse 8. So who will sustain you in the end, guiltless in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ? God's been good to you, Corinthians, he says. And guess what? God's been so good to you, he will see you through. I don't care what you're going through in your life, and you may feel like life's throwing the worst thing at you, and you may feel like you're in a pit of despair. Let me tell you something. Grab onto the Lord and hang on, and he will pull you through. Amen? Is there anybody in here, here who's been through some stuff that God pulled you through? Would you just lift up your hand? All right, look around in this house. Listen, be encouraged in your heart. So, so why, uh, why do I say that? Well, read on. Verse 9 says God is faithful. Amen? How many know God is faithful? By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So um, Paul says this, you're going to make it. And why? Not because anything within yourselves or anything within ourselves, but because God is faithful. That's why you're going to make it. Now, Psalm 73, 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. Uh, uh, you hold my right hand is what the psalmist is saying. Lord, Lord, I'm continuing. You've got my hand. I am going to make it. Amen. Uh, if I told, you know, if you can imagine, uh, uh, I think I posted a video of Novak singing on the table in his diaper this week. If you saw that on Facebook. And, and you know, he's singing a, a worship song from a few years ago. And he's sitting there and just in his diaper, praise the Lord, right? And, and he's like, everything's possible, you know. And he's singing this song and he's just, you know, and I love to post that every year. But, but imagine me grabbing Novak's hand. And, and I'm like, Novak, we're going to cross the street, okay? I'm going to grab, I'm a, and he's little, okay? He's not 10, but he's 5. And, and, and I grasp his hand. He grasped my hand. And, and, but if he was to fall, okay, and he was to lose grip, guess what? As a father, what am I going to do? I'm going to squeeze his hand, right? I'm going to do what I can to catch him, to keep him from falling and tripping and getting in harm's danger. Uh, but if he was to let go for some reason, guess what? I can still hold him up. Amen. Some of you, that bounced off everything in here, but some of you need to hear that in your heart tonight. You may feel like letting go, but God's saying, I got you. Hold on, I've got you. And, and so the Corinthians, they were tangled up in a mess of problems, but Paul, he has assurance to say this, hey, you're going to make it. You know how I know that? Because God is faithful. When you mess up, God is faithful. When you blow it, God is faithful. When you're walking along and you trip and you fall on sin, God is faithful. Man, it's beautiful. So the last four verses, Paul encourages them. He loves on them. But here he comes to the correcting, starting in verse 10. Um, and, so, and so if you need a heading here, it's, he, he begins with this, divisions in the church. Woo, come on, Paul. Come on, right out. I love you. You're going to make it. <laughs> Let's talk about divisions in the church now, right? Well, I got heavy fast, right? Verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all you agree and that there be no divisions among you. 
he say some divisions? He say a little bit? No, he said what? How many divisions? None. Jesus, hold my hand. Right? I need you, Lord, to hold my hand on this one because guess what? Listen, I know you think that you're an angel, but you're not an angel. You make mistakes. You have ill intentions. I have bad intentions. We all do at times, right? But this says, hey, I, 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 I appeal to you that you have, uh, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That you guys be on the same page here. Verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, uh, it says in this translation, or Chloe's family, that there is quarreling among you, my Brothers, so Paul was in Rome when he when he hears this and he heard about these things and that was going on in Corinth and notice this. I like what Paul does. He doesn't say, I heard it from somebody. He says, No, I heard it from Chloe's people, Chloe's family. Let me put a name behind what I've heard. Oh, come on, somebody. The church there was splintering into deep division and something Paul knew that he had to address. But notice he says Chloe's house or his people. They told me it wasn't a, well, people are saying, well, who are they? But Paul comes in and says, hey, I heard from Chloe's family. Let me tell you what that is, killing gossip. Because there's a reference. Here we go. Now let's talk this out. Let's, let's deal with this head on. So my question uh, to that statement is, you know, when people say, well, people are saying, which people? And most people will go, ooh, really? Okay. Uh, uh, most people shy away from answering that. So Paul is, is doing something very wise as a leader here and as an apostle here. He's, he's saying, hey, I'm not leaving any open doors for you to guess on anything here. The Holy Spirit is going to bring us back together. There's not going to be any backbiting. There's not going to be any division here. Guess what? We're going to deal with the issue, and this is where I heard it from. All right? So let's go. Verse 12 says this. For what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So the, the church in Corinth was divided into four little groups. They're all going along. Some said, hey, we love Paul. We follow Paul. He's the founder of our church. He is, the, he is our pastor, right? We love him. We love him. And others are saying, ah, oh, Paul was not that impressive. We like Apollos. He's a better speaker. He was eloquent with speech, and his words were powerful. He was intellectually uh, proficient and, and very personable. We like him. And some said, ah, oh, Apollos is a skilled speaker, but guess what? He talks too high and mighty. I need I need somebody that's simple. I need somebody to talk to me. I need a Cephas or Peter. I need somebody that was a fisherman who speaks plainly and simple and just straight to the point. And then there's this last group over here who said, oh, we don't follow man. We just follow Jesus Christ. This is interesting. Unfortunately, hey, listen, listen to me. Unfortunately, we can still see this type of division today. In our, and, and, man, I'll just say this. Even in our town and even in our own church at times where there's times where people say, hey, well, I'm going to follow the pastor, the founding, our founding pastor here. Uh, Brother Cobb has passed away. But, you know, some people say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, the founding pastor, that was my pastor way back when and, and, and this. And so, and some say this, others say this, hey, we want someone who's, who's a better speaker, a better communicator. That's what we want. We don't necessarily want the original guy, but we want this guy. And then some say, hey, we want someone who's more practical and a little bit more down to earth and this and that. And others say, we want Jesus, right? 
It's easy to say, I want Jesus, right? But here's the thing. Uh, when we say, oh, which the thing with this people that say, hey, I just want Jesus, they were almost saying it from a prideful place. It's interesting. What's that? What do you mean by that? Uh, uh, they were uh, they would say that to be kind of proud, like, oh, I'm, I'm better than you. And, and they ask a, a, a private in the army. This is a great example, great illustration of this. They asked a private in the army what division he was with, and he said, I'm not into divisions or companies. How, do, how does that work, Brad, when you're in the military? You don't, you don't get to decide that, right? But they asked this private at, 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 in the army, and they said, hey, uh, what division are you in? And he said, I'm not in a division or a company. And they, and he said, I'm a freelancer. I fight where I want, when I want, and I come and go as I please. How's that work? Not, not, okay. So, you know, this ain't a true story, right? And, and, and I'm a soldier, but, but not into the structure of command. It's too restrictive. I only answer to the commander in chief, the president of the United States. Woo. How's that work in boot camp? Nathan, how's that work in boot? Did, did they just beat that right out of you, don't they? He, you don't get to, I only answer to the president of the United States. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, is that the case? All right. Well, let's see about that, right? Uh, but, but there are those who say, hey, I'm, I'm not responsible or I'm not accountable or I'm not linked to any elder or pastor or group of brothers or sisters. I only answer to Jesus, and that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus is the commander in chief. And we do answer to him, but get, let me tell you something. He has chosen to work through the structure of the body of Christ. He's designed it to be that way. There's covering and there's, there's shepherds and under shepherds and people who do that. I have uh, brother and sister Williams. They are my pastors. They are the people. If I have a problem, that's where I go and I talk to them and they, they, they help me. And, they, and so there's, there's these things that we have to understand. There's this process. But there was four divisions there. I like Paul. Uh, I like Apollos. I like Peter, I like Jesus, right? Look at this, verse 13. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Whew, that's, a, that's a good question. Why are we divided, though, in our hearts at times? Quiet. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? I like how Paul throws his own name. Was I crucified for you? Was, uh, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Or Apollos, Peter? Listen, pastors are great. We follow Jesus. We understand God's divine order and structure of, of shepherding. But, but, you know, and I'll be honest with you. I'll be the first to admit it. Pastors can miss it sometimes. You can miss it sometimes. Pastors can miss it sometimes. And, and that's okay. And, and let me tell you something. Any man that, that leads, any pastor that leads, they're going to let you down at some point or another. And I can promise you, you're going to let your pastor down at some point or another. Well, you didn't like that shoe when it flipped it around, right? And, and there's going to be the moment. But when a church is divided and split, you know who bleeds? Jesus. Because we're fractured, and well, I want it this way, and I want it this way, and and Jesus is up there saying, "I just want you guys to walk in unity. I've got better plans, man. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Look at this, verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you. <laughs> I like Paul comes in. I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you, Corinthians, you party animals, except for Crispus." And, and Gaius, and, 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 and so Crispus was the leader of the synagogue. We talked about him in Acts chapter 18, and Gaius was Paul's host in Rome. 
uh, when he was there. So those are the only two guys. He's like, hey, I, don't, I didn't have to do all the baptize. I, you know, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Verse 15, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of uh, Stephanus. Uh, behold, or beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. He's just trying to recall it in his mind. He's getting old, right? How many know the older you get, the harder it is to recall if you did certain things, right? Uh, so why would Paul say this? It wasn't because he wasn't excited about baptizing people, but he didn't want people to pit him over Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with And Paul understood this better than anybody. Man, imitate me as I what? Imitate. I, I, I love you gotta love that. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. <laughs> oh, I like this. But to what? But to what? Preach the what? Ah, he, he knew. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied. Of its power. So he's saying this. Paul says, it's really simple. I came to you preaching only Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing else. I mean, as simple as that is. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, and I love this. He said, preach you Christ and Christ and Christ and Christ and nothing else but Christ. Amen. I love that. There, uh, There's a. Uh, this illustration, there's a small English village that had a tiny church whose stone walls were covered by traditional ivy, all right? Because you can picture this in your mind. And over an arch in the original inscribed these words, we preach Christ crucified. It said it like this, we preach Christ crucified. Everyone say, we preach Christ crucified. Oh, man, that's beautiful. And there had been a generation of saintly clergies who did precisely that, and they preached Christ crucified. But times change. How many know that times change? And the ivy grew, and, and, and pretty soon it covered the last word, and the, and the inscription now reads, we preach Christ. Everyone say, we preach Christ. And, and, and other clergy came, and they did preach Christ, Christ our example, Christ the human humanitarian, Christ the teacher. And as the years passed, the ivy continued to grow until finally the inscription read, we preach. Everyone say, we preach. And the generation that came along then did just that. They preached economics. They preached book reviews and, and just about anything. And time passed, and the ivy covered the word preach until it was just we. Everyone say, we. And then they started playing bingo. And they started socializing only, and there was no real change. Uh, when the church feels like it has to become, I mean, I saw this quote. Listen to this. When the church feels like it has to become like the world, it has not won the world. The world has won it. Think about that for a minute. Some say, well, we need practical help. And sometimes we do. Sometimes, you know what? We have money issues, and we don't understand. We need a biblical stance on how, how, how to handle money. How many know that that's important? Or, but, and then we see in the epistles that, that solutions to financial problems and marital problems, whatever problem it is that Jesus Christ and him crucified is the answer to all of those problems. So what? So what cures the vision? I'll give you this. What cures the vision? The love of Christ. 
love of Christ, the love of Christ. So here's, here's the last subheading here, I think, in this chapter. I'm, I might be wrong. Is Christ the wisdom and power of God? So verse 18 says this, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Why? When we tell people Jesus loves them and died for them and offers them new life, those who are perishing just don't get it. If they're not believers, they just don't get it. They're like, why, why would Jesus do that? Like, or I don't, I don't have an understanding. And they don't get it because they don't understand that they have to deny themselves and take up a, a cross. And when they hear that, they say, man, that seems foolish to me. But look at this. The next part of that verse says, but to us who are be being saved, it is the power of God. Let me read that all together. Uh, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to, thus, uh, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are saved, constantly being saved from sin. And it's, and it's hope within us. I love this, Colossians 1.27. It says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of what? Glory. So this is amazing to me because Jesus, he is daily interceding for us. Sits at the right hand, daily interceding for you. Daily. When you mess up, he's interceding for you. He's loving on you. And, 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 and one day he'll take us to heaven and, and we'll be saved from the presence of sin once and for all. So, but this is what I need you to understand. The message of the cross, listen, when we talk about the message of the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified, it brings hope. It brings hope. Uh, 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 and and when, I, when I failed, uh, because, uh, it, you know, it, it reminds me that when I fell, uh, Jesus' blood cleanses me from all my sin. I don't have to feel guilty about my past sins. I, because guess what? He's forgotten about them, so why can't I forget about them? Listen up, devil, shut up. I don't need to listen to you no more. Jesus, it's under the blood. Everyone say, it's under the blood. Amen. And, and it also gives direction to the way to live for it's, it's only when I deny myself and take up my cross that I find life is what Jesus said in Matthew. When I deny myself and I take up my cross, man, that's when I find life. So it says this in verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not, not, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So, so you've got to remember who Paul's speaking to here. He's speaking to the Greeks. What are the Greeks known for? Philosophers. Smart. You know, we're going to think our way through this. And so he's talking to them. And so uh, they were debaters. They were scribes. They were philosophers. That, uh, they, that, you know, um, you know, they he's like, and, and Paul's saying this, where are those guys? Where are the psychiatrists? Where are the psychologists in our days? Come on, I'll bring it up to modern terms. What, what have they done for our culture? He's, Paul's asking them, the, the Greeks, what have those philosophers done for our culture? What, what have they done? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of this world? This is, I mean, this is, this is good stuff right here. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, that's good stuff. And, and we, can, uh, we can be depressed over the, the foolish political and judicial decisions of our leaders. Come on, somebody, right? Oh, man, 
man, I cannot believe they did that again, right? How many times have you said that in the last six months? Oh, Washington, D.C., what? What? Oh, man, if we could just get this person voted in, come on, right? And, and you get depressed, and, and, and we can be depressed over those decisions. But Or we can realize that God's got this thing all planned out, trust in him, and, and just live in freedom and peace. Amen? When we do this, guess what? We won't be upset. When we understand God's using the foolishness <laughs> of this world, come on, using the foolishness of this world as a part of his plan. All these political people in Washington who think they're so smart, God's like, you're just playing into my hand here. I'm going to use you. Look at this, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, those who believe uh, have, have their hope in the big picture of eternity, right? As a believer, you know, I'm a pilgrim passing through this land, right? Right? I'm only here 70, 80 years maybe, 100, 40 maybe, 150, 200 maybe. No. I'm only here for a short time, but guess what? I am a sojourner. I am a pilgrim going from this land, this little blip of this life that I call a life, compared to eternity, is very, very small. So, and, and when we think about the big picture of eternity, guess what? The things of this life start to seem really foolish. Why did I get mad at that person who pulled out in front of me? Right? Seems stupid in the big scheme of things, right? Certain things make you start to think. And they, they say, uh, live for now. The world says this, live for now and enjoy today. And the preaching of the word says, look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Um, Paul doesn't say that people are saved by foolish preaching. That's not what he's saying. Some of you say, well, pastor, you're good at that one, the foolish preaching side, right? It's a joke, Okay. You'll know the difference from that which is being preached with the power of God and the preaching of foolishness by simple, uh, a few simple rules that you can look at right here. Number one, when someone's preaching, does it match up with Scripture? Number one, don't tell me something that God told you that does not line up with the Word of God because you are a false prophet. Is it seen specifically in the life of Jesus? Can we look in Scripture and see, see Jesus doing that thing or uh, um, at some point? Is it practiced in the book of Acts in the early church? Do we see that happening in the early church? Is it something that exists? Is it taught by Paul in one of his epistles? And so, in other words, is it consistent with the entire New Testament, things that, that people preach? If it's off, guess what? We've got to stop. We've got to reset. We've got to take a step back and get, get our bearings going the right direction, all right? So every true teaching, every doctrine and practice is seen in the life of Jesus. It's practiced in the book of Acts and taught by Paul in the epistles. That's, that's it. So um, if someone teaches something that doesn't line up with those areas, you got to reject it. All right? I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to help you here. Some of you are young Christians. I, I'm trying to help you here. YouTube is a dangerous place. There's a lot of people who call themselves experts that are not. Oh, come on, Pastor. 
All right, sorry. Can I tell you this? The Word of God, how many of you take vitamins? Why do you take vitamins? To supplement your health, right? Because you don't eat the food you're supposed to eat, right? All right. The Bible doesn't need supplements. It's complete. It doesn't need me to add to it. It doesn't need more. It, it, is, it is complete. It needs no addition. It is enough. It is our daily bread, all right? You, spiritually, you'll be sufficient with the word of God. Some of you say, I'm going through a fight. I'm going through a struggle. Get in the word of God. Start eating that manna and watch yourself grow spiritually stronger and stronger and stronger. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. I like how Paul keeps going back to this. Um, Jews were looking for miracles and signs, right? And the Greeks, they're looking for philosophy and wisdom. And we see that today in our churches and in our world, people chasing revivals and conferences. And, oh, this is going on over there. This move of God, we're, we're chasing signs. Come on, right? Come on, somebody. Come on. I know I'm stepping, maybe stepping on some toes. Or, or you know, we got these signs and things are happening there, so I got to go there. Or we're chasing wisdom. We're changing, chasing philosophy. Got to listen to this podcast. Got to listen to this person, this wisdom. And those things are good. Listen, I'm not saying they're bad. But listen, we ought to seek the giver and not the gifts. Signs, healings are gifts from the giver. Keep your eyes and your focus where it needs to be, not on the signs. Amen? Oh, pastor, that's good teaching. I know. I, I'm going to have to go pray through for my pride. Whether relating to marriage or, or government, depression, or addiction, parenting, parenting, finances, or doubt. The cross is indeed the crux of every matter. That's why we should constantly be pre be preaching it, right? Man, I, and I do my best, and you know, I, I just man, it's it's all about Jesus. It's all about him going to the cross and raising from the dead. Jesus Christ and him crucified. What he did there was so powerful, and, and it can change any situation. I've seen marriages be reunited in the middle of people declaring, God, I need you to come into my situation. I know what you did on the cross, Lord. I've seen God restore people. I've seen God heal people. I've seen God do amazing things, but it all is back to the cross. Amen. So it says this, for the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to Gentiles or, or the Greeks. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man. Everyone say amen. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Everyone say amen. So to the Jews, this is what they wanted. You know what the Jews wanted at that time? They wanted a political leader. They wanted a political savior. 
And when Jesus came and he didn't fulfill that to the way that they thought he should, guess what? He became a stumbling block to them because they thought that that was what he was going to do. And so Jesus, uh, when he was crucified, it didn't make sense to them. When he was nailed to the cross, they discounted uh, him. And they said, no, this isn't the Messiah. And, 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 you know, it's interesting. The cross is a bad thing. When we, you know, we wear crosses around our neck, right? We wear crosses on on everything we see them everywhere we have some crosses up here and that's you know what that the cross was was pitiful the bible says curse is anything that hangs from a tree it really does say that so so i want you to point out imagine that cross in modern terms you know what that would be an electric chair We see it as a symbol of hope, but but to modern terms, you know, they wouldn't. It it would be an electric chair. Boy, that kind of blows your mind. But here's what. So the Jews, they were looking for that political leader, but they saw Jesus as a stumbling block. The Greeks, who craved philosophy and wisdom, they saw Jesus and they said, "Man, he this is foolishness. It was too simple for him. It's too simple to deal with." You know, complex family issues, or or or, or whatever, and 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 you know, we want, uh, we have, uh, we have to personally experience this power to know otherwise. And, and the Greeks and the Romans, they didn't like talking about crosses. It was bad. It wasn't good. They just didn't want to deal with it. I don't. We don't want to talk about it. We do it, but we don't want to talk about it. And I don't care what your degree, what degree you have. The power of Jesus can change lives, and only the power of Jesus. I don't care if you have nine PhDs. Listen, that will not take the place of the power of God in your life. Man, I wish I could get into chapter 2 tonight. Verse 26 says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So, what he's saying here is all you people, man, you're just a bunch of people from Lawrence County. Come on, right? We're, we're not fancy over here. Come on, right? We're not, we're not fancy. Man, we're just, we're, just, we're just people, right? And he's saying this. You, you guys, you, you Corinthians, you're not wise. You're not powerful. You're noble. It, 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 that refers to the upper crust of society, those people up there. But and most of you Corinthians, man, you, you guys are lower class. But that's okay, right? Uh, uh, your, your status in society has nothing to do with the call of God on your life. Okay? Your status in society has nothing to do with your call of God in your life. Look at this, verse 27. But God, they want to say, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. I want to be on the side that God favors. Oh, you're foolish. Well, I'd rather be with God and foolish than wise and with you guys. God, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So God uses weak. God uses foolish things. Why does God do that? Read on. Look at this. Verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does God use the foolish things? So we can't boast about it. The Lord uses foolish things in order uh, that, that he gets the credit. Why? Is God on some kind of ego trip? No, he's not on an ego trip. Does he need his ego stroke? Absolutely not. But God uses weak things not because of a lack in his nature, but in a lack in our nature. 
See, God knows that when he uses someone impressive in the eyes of the world, they look at them and say, that guy. Yeah, that's our guy. And, and you know what happens when we, we, put, we put people up on a pedestal? They begin to fall, and they begin to fail you, and they begin to, right? But, but, but God says this. He says, I, I don't want any flesh glory. Why? Because all flesh will fail ultimately. Everyone's. I'll give you a good example. King Uzziah expanded the borders of Israel, right? He was a gifted king of Judah and Israel, and he, he brought the kingdom together. It, was, it, had a, it prospered, right? It was doing great things, and they had a great army built up. Yet, although the name of the Lord was on the lips of the people in 2 Corinthians 26, 8, or 2 Chronicles, it, it wasn't until he died that Isaiah saw the Lord. Think about that for a minute. So, hey, you got this great king who's predominantly doing great things. Things seem to be great. The economy is great. Praise the Lord. But he had to die so that we, that the people of Israel could see God. Listen to me. I, I'm going to say something, and this may, may floor you a little bit. God still lets people die, sometimes not physically, but in, in people's minds, especially when we put them up on a pedestal. Well, that person... Man, if, if we had that preacher, if we had that person, but then, then you know, a few weeks later you, you see a news article. Well, that person did this and, and, and hurt somebody, right, and, or whatever the case. And you're like, man, I can't believe they would do that. Wise is the person, mature is the church that sees and sees God over talent and over successful people. You first, Lord, you first. It's people who say, God, truly you are you are the one upon whom I can build, and truly you are all that I need, amen, and you're, you're what I need to rely. Amen. How many know that God gets the glory? Everyone say, God gets the glory. Verse, verse 30 says this, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast where? Next time someone comes up to you and says, man, you are, you are just a great child of God. You ought to say, it's because of Jesus. It's not me. I stand here by God's grace. I got to brag on God. You know, wisdom does, just doesn't come from the Lord. Wisdom is the Lord. Right? It just doesn't come from it. it the Lord is, is wisdom, right? Second Corinthians, verses 1 and 20, it says this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So I, I love this. Paul finishes this chapter telling the church there. And to us, that wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption, all that we could ever need, both now, eternally, now and eternally, are wrapped in one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's a beautiful thing, amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, Heavenly Father, God.